Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. We're continuing our series in the book of Ruth, which we are calling the Christmas prequel, which we've seen hints of Christmas so far in the book of Ruth, but it will become in, into sharper focus next week as we look at Ruth chapter 4. But this week we are in Ruth chapter 3, and it is page 223 in the Red Bible. Uh, before we dig in, let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for uh, giving us your grace by pouring out your grace upon us through this book of Ruth. May we receive it with joy and thanksgiving, with transformation and with worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was the year 2000, uh, the summer of 2000. My wife, Trisha, and I uh, were, had been dating for about a year at that time. For most of that year, she was living in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I was living in Columbia, Missouri. Um, But we decided that if we wanted to think about taking our relationship to the next level, we should probably live in the same town for a little bit. And so that summer, the summer of 2000, I went and lived up with some of her guy friends for a month or so. And she came down after that and lived with some of my uh, girlfriends. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Some of my friends that were girls uh, for a couple of months so we could, you know, get on each other's nerves a little bit and see if we still liked each other. Well, it was starting to draw to the end of summer, and so I planned a trip for us. Um, I borrowed my friend's car because all I owned at that time was a motorcycle. Um, And so I picked her up, and we headed south uh, to southwest Missouri, where we were able to stay at a Christian camp that I worked at. They had guys' dorms and girls' dorms, and it was free, so it was right in my price range. Uh, The next morning, we we woke up, and we started to head to Arkansas. And as we were heading to Arkansas, I remember stopping for gas, and Trish picked up a disposable camera. Because at that time, there were no cameras on your phone, at least nothing that was worth anything. And so she picked up a disposable camera. And as we look back upon it, the reason she told me she picked up a disposable camera is because she was suspicious something big was about to come. And the reason why she was suspicious something big was about to come was because for the first time in our dating career, I was paying for everything. And so she thought, man, something is up. Something is up. She was the one who had a job. I was a poor college student and uh, she was gracious to me, we'll say that. And so we, we headed down to a, a state park called Buffalo River State Park. And we started out on a hike I had been on before called the Lost River Valley Trail. 
Uh, after a few hours, we reached a place that I thought was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen on earth. I think we have a picture here, and of course, it does not do justice to I found it on Google, um, but there's this little canyon, and in this little canyon, there is this uh, uh, a cave in the wall, and there's a waterfall coming out of it, and there was ivy, and it's a, just a beautiful place, and then there's some rock arches there, and it's just a gorgeous place. And so we, we got there, and I remember uh, pulling out my little camping stove and turning it on, and putting a a pot of water on there and boiling it and cooking some spaghetti for her. And we ate because she loved spaghetti at the time. And after we were done cleaning up the dishes, uh, it was the time. And so I believe it was near the bottom right-hand part of this picture, I believe. It was 20 years ago. Um, But I got down on one knee and I told her how much I loved her and I asked if she would marry me. And she said yes. And then we continued on our hike and we got lost and we barely made it back to the car before sundown. And so that's, that's what makes it rememberable. But that, that's our engagement story. Uh, those of you who are married also have an engagement story, even if it's a very uh, silly engagement story. But that's our engagement story. Ruth chapter 3 is an engagement story. Uh, But it's a very, very interesting engagement story. I'll I'll say it's even more interesting than my uh, engagement story by far uh, because we are in a different culture uh, that has different... Different, different ways of doing things, and it's in a different time. It has different customs. Uh, in this proposal story, this engagement story, uh, Ruth takes a lot of risks, um, and she also is really doing things that are very unorthodox for the time. And so that's the story we're going to be jumping into is a proposal story. Now, before we start reading, I just want to recap to make sure we remember where this falls in the story of the book of Ruth. So in Ruth chapter one, if you remember, we are introduced to a woman named Naomi and her family. Uh, They lived in Bethlehem, but there was a famine in the promised land. So they moved outside of the promised land to Moab. And while they were in Moab, uh, her two sons met two Moabite women. One's name was Orpah and the other's name was Ruth. And they married those two women. Now, while in Moab, tragedy strikes the family. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And then her two sons die. And so Naomi is overwhelmed with sadness and grief, understandably, but it it turns her heart into a heart of bitterness, so much so that when she comes back to Bethlehem, she tells the people, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because bitterness defines me because the Lord's hand is against me. Now, in Ruth chapter 1, we also see something wonderful and glorious happening that, that really Naomi can't see because she's blinded by her bitterness. But in that chapter, we have a conversion story. Ruth actually places her faith in the Lord. She says, I want to go back to the promised land with you. I want to be a part of the people of God with you. I want to worship the Lord God with you until the day that I die. And so God is doing amazing things in Ruth chapter 1. We then get to Ruth chapter 2. And Ruth uh, goes out to the fields to harvest food for her and for Naomi because in the Old Testament, God made a provision that, that when people, when the farmers reaped their harvest, they were supposed to leave the extra, the gleanings on the field so that the poor could come and, and harvest the gleanings so that they could feed themselves. And so Ruth goes out to do that. And by God's grace and providence and kindness, she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz. 
And Boaz ends up being an extremely uh, a kind man to her, an extremely godly man. He tells her that she can glean on his fields uh, as long as she needs to, that he will provide for all of her needs. Uh, he commands his men not to touch her so that he can protect her from being assaulted, which was commonplace in that day. He told her she could come and drink from uh, his water so she didn't have to go get her own. He even invites her to eat dinner with her. And then he, he instructs his men to leave sheaves out, leave the good stuff out for her to collect. And so Boaz is extraordinarily kind to this foreigner, Ruth. She goes home with a ephah of barley, which is about 22 liters, a month's worth of, of barley for anyone. And, and as she comes home, Naomi sees just the, the gracious provision of God. And she says, who is the man that was this kind to you to give you this much food? And she says, his name is Boaz. And, and, and Naomi responds, oh, that's interesting because Boaz is a redeemer of ours, meaning that he could uh, marry you and purchase our land to provide for us. And so then we come to the end of chapter two. And if you would look there with me, verse 23 says, so she, Ruth, kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so here we have the context. It is the end of the harvest season. Naomi and Ruth are headed back to a life of, figuring out where their next meal comes from. And then Naomi comes up with a divinely inspired plan. And it begins with planning a proposal. So let's look in verse one and two together. Again, after the harvest was over, verse one says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Naomi says here that she wants to find rest for Ruth. By rest, she means she wants to find her safety and security and peace. A situation where Ruth would not have to wonder where her next meal is coming from all the time. A, a position where Ruth would not have to constantly be in fear of being violated by other men. Naomi wants to seek such rest for Ruth, and she wants to do it through the gift of marriage. And so in verse 2, Naomi mentions Boaz, reminding Ruth that Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers who can marry her and purchase their land and carry on the name of Elimelech. And so Naomi, not Ruth, not Boaz, but Naomi plans the proposal. Verse two again says, it's not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Winnowing is something that farmers did uh, after they harvested their crop. And again, I think we have a picture up here. But what it was is basically they would take uh, the, the barley or the wheat and they would throw it in the air and the chaff, which was useless, blew away. And the good stuff, the barley, the wheat would fall back to the ground and they would collect it. And so she says, listen, we know that he's going to be doing that tonight because in the area of Palestine, there was, a, there was a breeze that came off the sea every evening. And so that was when they would do the winnowing. And so she says, go to 
the threshing floor where he will be winnowing. And our instruction continues. Verse 3, Naomi says to Ruth, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Naomi recommends to Ruth that she bathes, that she puts perfume on, that she puts a nice cloak on. She's preparing Ruth for a date, preparing Ruth for a proposal. And Naomi's plan is that after Boaz gets done working and eating, when he falls asleep next to the barley, next to the harvest, that that Ruth would go up to him and that she would uncover his feet. Now, now commentators aren't quite sure why Naomi recommends that that his feet are uncovered. Uh, Maybe it was a tradition of the day. For example, today, if I tell you that I got down on one knee, you know what's coming next, right? You know, because that's the tradition. I don't know why we get down on one knee, but when someone gets down on one knee, when a man gets down on one knee, we know he's about to propose. Maybe uncovering the feet was something along that lines, or it could simply have been a way to... uh, Uh, mildly wake him up from his sleep, to not startle him. If you uncover his feet and the cool air comes in, he will gradually wake up. And so she recommends that Ruth uncovers his feet. Either way, uh, Ruth responds to Naomi's plan and says, all that you say I will do, probably because Ruth is not familiar with the customs of the Israelites. And so she trusts Naomi's plan. So this is the proposal plan. And the reason why it is significant that it comes from Naomi um, is because it signals a significant change in Naomi's heart. If you remember last week, we talked about aggressively gleaning God's grace. And Ruth goes out to aggressively glean God's grace. But Naomi is paralyzed with bitterness at home. She is, she's overwhelmed with bitterness, believing that the hand of the Lord has been against her. But here we see a change. When Ruth comes back with these generous gleanings, you see the heart of Naomi start to soften. The bitterness start to ebb away. And Naomi is starting to hope again, to believe again that the Lord is kind and that the Lord is good. You know, I wonder if there's anyone here who, like Naomi, this Christmas season is caught in a pit of bitterness. Maybe you're bitter because life has not turned out the way you want it to be. Maybe you're bitter because someone that you wish was here this Christmas is not here this Christmas, and so you are bitter against God. Maybe this is time. Maybe this is God reaching out to you and saying, it is time to re-engage. It is time to put your bitterness aside and look to the kindness of God. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I I probably shared with you a number of times, but it's a quote that I think is so helpful. C.S. Lewis says this, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. 
Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. This is where Naomi was in her bitterness. She was so guarded, so distant from everybody that she let nobody in as a way of protecting herself from being hurt again. And yet here she is softened to the kindness of God and she hopes again and she starts to make plans to pursue the kindness of God and the bounty of God for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, through this kinsman redeemer, Boaz. So first we see Naomi plans a proposal. The second thing we see here is a pursuing of the proposal. Look at verse six through nine with me. It says, so she, that's Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Going against cultural customs, Ruth takes the first step. Ruth proposes to Boaz. And she does it by asking Boaz to spread your wings over your servant. Now, this isn't a term that we commonly use. I can't remember the last time Trish asked me to spread my wings over her as my servant. I don't remember those things. Uh, but this is a beautiful phrase. And, and we know that throughout looking through other parts of scripture, just as you look at back, back at the last chapter, if you look at Ruth 2, verse 12, it says, the Lord repay you what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, when a chick takes cover underneath the wings of a hen, it does so for safety and protection and provision. Again, I think we have in our picture up here, you can see sometimes a visual is a more helpful illustration. I'm full of, I'm full of illustrations today. I don't know why I got excited about it, but, but you can see here the chicks gathered underneath the hen for protection, for provision, for care, for warmth. It gathers underneath its wings. Look at that as I read to you from the Psalms. The Psalmist David says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, speaking to the Lord. Psalm 91 says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. And so to go under one's wings is to be enveloped in their care. It's to take refuge in that person. It's to go under the protection and provision of that person. And Ruth has done that with the Lord God, and now she is seeking to do it with Boaz. And the question is, how will Boaz respond? Ruth just took this extraordinary risk. She could be rejected. She could be humiliated in front of the community of Israel. 
How would Boaz respond? Verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Ruth's first kindness that Boaz is talking about is when Ruth really traded her life in Moab to come and to take care of a bitter woman named Naomi. But her second kindness is to propose to Boaz. And Boaz is so overwhelmed with gratitude that he says, this kindness is even greater than your first kindness. And what he tells us here in verse 10, or what he alludes to, is that Ruth had other opportunities. That Ruth could have gone after, as it says here, younger men. Men that were maybe his servants or men in the community. Younger men, more attractive men. Boaz was an older dude. Not only could she have gone after younger men, but he says you could have gone after richer men, whether rich or poor. And so, so, not, so Ruth proposes to Boaz, not because he is young and handsome, not because he is the richest person in Bethlehem, but the reason why she proposes to Boaz is because he is a godly man. Because he is a good redeemer who can give her rest relationally, emotionally, and most, most importantly, spiritually. Verse 11, Boaz content, responds again, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy Woman. Again, why does Boaz accept this proposal? Is it because Ruth is young and beautiful? No, although that's probably true. Is it because Ruth comes from a great family? We know that's not true. He says here the reason why he accepts the proposal is because everybody knows that she is a worthy woman. This word worthy can be translated as virtuous. In fact, that same Hebrew word is used in Proverbs 31 to describe an excellent wife. Boaz agrees to marry Ruth for the same reason Ruth wants to marry Boaz, because of godliness. You know, I think this is so instructive to single folks in our church today. It is perfectly natural to be attracted to someone, to find someone uh, uh, beautiful or handsome. That is perfectly natural. But as we are looking at attributes of someone who we want to marry, the attribute that should rise above all the rest is someone who is godly, someone who is virtuous, someone who loves God more than they love you. You know, for a long time I did college ministry and, and every college student seems to ask you this question. When you're married, how did you know Trish was the one? How did you know Trish was the one that you wanted to marry? And, and my answer is very unromantic, I'm sorry. But my answer was, I knew Trish was the one because I knew Trish didn't need me. And they'll say, what do you mean? I'll say, well, you know, I dated girls in the past who just obsessed over getting married to me. And I was afraid to break up with them because if I broke up with them, they would be crushed. And that happened because I had become the center of their life and becoming, they wanted to get married and things like that. And so I was like, I don't wanna be with a woman like that. I wanna be with a woman who if I broke up with her, she would be sad, but she would not be crushed because I'm not her savior. <laughs> and that's who Trish was. If I broke up with Trish, I think she would be sad. Maybe she wouldn't have been, but, but I think she would have been sad 
but she would have not been crushed because she loved Jesus more than she loved me. That's what Ruth is looking for in a husband. That's what Boaz is looking for in a wife. That's what we're called to look for. And so if, if you're here today and you are dating someone who, who says they love Jesus with their lips, but their lifestyle says something very different, break up with them. Wait for someone who loves God more than they love you. And if God doesn't provide that, God is still enough. Okay, that was a bit of a tangent. Back in point, but I think an important one. What does this have to do with us, with all of us? The grace and kindness and love of God not only leads us to make plans, but also to pursue the plans. The great theologian Wayne Gretzky once said, you will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You see, you can make all the plans in the world. You can make plans, you know, plays on the hockey rink. You can make plans to shoot it. But unless you actually do something, nothing's ever going to happen. Sometimes people are paralyzed not knowing, what does God want me to do with my life? Just do something. Something godly. Something the Lord would want you to do. Go and do something. It is the grace and kindness of God that frees us to make great plans for the kingdom of Christ, but also the grace and mercy and kindness of God that allows us to pursue it with great vigor, even if it is dangerous, even if it's scary, even if it is unorthodox. And so here we see Naomi plans the proposal. Ruth pursues the proposal, but Boaz pauses the proposal. Verse 12, Boaz is speaking to Ruth and he says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. In other words, there's someone who is nearer to your father-in-law than I am relationally. And they have first rights to marry you and to purchase your land. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. This right here, friends, verse 13, is maybe one of the greatest proclamations of faith that you will find in the entire Bible. Boaz loves Ruth. Boaz says, your kindness to me is greater than your kindness to Naomi. Boaz wants to marry Ruth very, very badly, but Boaz says, I want to do it God's way. I don't want to do it my way. And so if this other redeemer decides to marry you, that is God's best for you. And I want that to happen. I don't want to do this my way. I want to do it God's way. Verse 13 continues. He says, lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's trying to protect Ruth's reputation. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest 
but will settle the matter today. Boaz gave Ruth barley, communicating that he wanted to take care of Ruth and Naomi, but also his commitment that they will be provided for in the future. Again, this just, this so Boaz wants to marry Ruth very badly. Boaz loves Ruth very, very much. But what is more important to Boaz is that he does this God's way, even if it meant Ruth marrying another redeemer. Earlier, I, I shared with you about the birth of the daughter to Stephen and Lindsay, if you remember in the announcements. And uh, Stephen is an elder candidate here. He's gone through elder training. The, the elders have interviewed him. We're going to put him before you in January to be elected, to be, to, to be voted on. And we always want to be transparent with you about, about our stories. And so we were going to share this with you later, this part of Stephen and Lindsay's story later. Uh, but it just ties in so well here to the book of Ruth. And so couldn't help but share it now. And so they gave me permission to share it with you today. Um, several years ago, I remember meeting with Stephen and Lindsay at the Perkins on Military Road, if you know where that is. And we were eating breakfast and, and Stephen shared with great joy that they were engaged and that they wanted to get married. And I thought, you know, wonderful, praise God, that's so exciting. And we were celebrating. I said, when do you want to get married? And he said, you know, we were thinking maybe next month. And I was like, whoa, okay, you really, really want to get married. I'm like, can we just slow this down a little bit? You see, part of Stephen's story and Lindsay's story is they were previously married. Uh, both, both of them had been divorced. And so I said, listen, we really need to, we, need to, we need to dig into this a little bit to make sure that your divorces were biblical and that you, you have biblical grounds that you can now get remarried again. We need to make sure that we do this God's way. Now, when I tell people that, often the response I get is, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what the Bible says. I love this person. I'm going to marry them. I don't care what anybody says. And so when I met back up with Stephen and Lindsay, I expected a similar response, not because of them, but because of past experiences. But, but, but Stephen and Lindsay both said what I think is one of the greatest proclamations of faith. Both of them said, if it is not biblical for us to get married, we will not get married. We trust the elders. That is tremendous faith. And so we investigated. We had to make a lot of phone calls and they had a lot of conversations. And as you can guess by the baby, uh, the Lord, uh, we, 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 we determined that their divorces were biblical and that they had the right to remarry. And so we celebrate the birth of this child today. But that is tremendous faith because they said, we want to do this God's way, not our way. And if God's way means that we don't get married, then we won't get married. Let me ask you, what is that thing in your life that you say, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do it my way. Whatever that thing is, it is a redeemer that will never satisfy your soul. Let me end with a, a Christmas connection here. Um, this chapter starts with Naomi saying to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Again, she wanted Ruth to have security, uh, rest for her soul. She wanted her well-being. And her plan to accomplish that was for Ruth to propose to a righteous redeemer. 
And Ruth said to Boaz, to the the righteous redeemer, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And if you remember the picture of of the hen spreading the wings over the chicks to, to, to comfort and to love and to protect those chicks. Fast forward now to the book of Matthew. And Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And then he says, how often, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You see, at Christmas, we celebrate that God has sent a greater redeemer than Boaz, a redeemer who did not wait for us to come to him, but he came down to us. We celebrate a redeemer who is not only willing to take us under his wings, but longs to take us under his wings. A redeemer who has sacrificed himself upon the cross to protect us from Satan, sin, and death. A redeemer who has risen from the dead to give us newness of life. A redeemer who is calling you to come, to come under the shelter of his wings. And so this Christmas, the question is simply this, are you coming under the wings of the redeemer? Are you coming under his protection, under his care, under his nourishment? This Christmas, take shelter in Christ as your redeemer, either for the first time or for the millionth time. Take shelter under his wings, for he longs for you to come and to be under his protection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this unorthodox engagement story found in Ruth chapter three. We thank you for Boaz being a picture of a great redeemer. Lord, I pray that that all of the husbands here, all of the fathers here will more and more grow into the picture of our great redeemer, that we will provide spiritual care for our family, that we will provide physical care, that we will provide material care for them, Lord. Help us to grow to image our redeemer to our wife and to our children, Lord. God, I pray if there is anyone here who does not know you as their redeemer, if there's anyone who has not taken shelter under your wings, who are left out in the ailments of the world, God, pray, Lord, that they would come this Christmas under the protection of your love as our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.